Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Casual Cognition. Thank you so much for tuning in yet again. Today we're going to talk a little bit about leadership, ancient empires, and then we are going to get into some casual history. It's not a topic that we've covered much so far, but Nate and I are pretty down with the history, so we're going to get into that a little bit. We very much hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for all your support. Let's get into it. again yes indeed my friend and what a journey it has been so far yes so far i expected to get really boring from about here on out though well yeah i mean considering what we're going to be talking about today (laughs) i'm not gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna take that shit from you okay no, I'm totally kidding, dude. But if I, if you told my high school self, or even even like college and before self, that we were going to be talking about history, I would just be completely and utterly uninterested. <laughs> well, that's uh, not all we're going to talk about. Yes, and in fact, we'll get into that more in the in the final segment because I do have I do have a little bit to say when it comes to history and uh, our education. Yeah, we can we can get into System. that later. But we're gonna start off. We're gonna ease into it by going with one of the one of the most overused buzzwords I've ever heard. Personally. Oh yeah. Which is leadership. Leadership. (laughs) Everything every parent wants their aspiring good little boy to become. You're a real leader, little Billy. I see all your friends look up to you. Yeah, I I just imagine, you can just imagine an extremely corny corporate, uh, like, onboarding video that's just like innovation leadership collaboration and it's just like just kill me now oh boy yes but there's those who make the history indeed or at least pay those who write it down yeah that's that's an interesting connection there already I think let's uh we can we can take a step back and um maybe we can just kind of dive into our understanding of what leadership is and why it's important and why maybe some of the misunderstandings around the word. Yeah, I so, actually or sorry, go yeah, on. Yeah, go ahead. I actually ha- I was thinking about this and um I didn't want to do a whole segment on it but i wanted to um do a little a little mini connection to our ancestral lifestyles segment because i've heard i've I've listened to a few chats with um i think it was chris ryan and jeff leach 
um, about like how the leaders of tribal societies and hunter gatherers are chosen. And it's really interesting mm-hmm. <clears throat> because they can't like they can't muscle their way to the top. You know, first off, everybody's in shape. You've got like <laughs> sixty or eighty other people around you. So even if you're like some tremendous badass, like three or four dudes could just kick your ass or spear you in your sleep or something. So mm. it is entirely based on what the tribe decides and who they think is going should be a good leader. And one thing mm. that Chris Ryan said that uh, stuck with me was that um, they almost never choose somebody who wants the position. Who's like trying to get it? Right, and that's so big red flag. Yeah, that's super interesting because that kind of goes back to our conversation on archetypes. Remember, in our second episode, we mentioned that's the the archetypal king is the one who doesn't want to be the king. Yeah, and they always make the best leaders. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So that's a that's a really interesting point, and. It actually brings up something that I didn't really think about uh, for this topic of leadership, but it's also really interesting because now we're kind of entering this time where there's a huge phobia among the people when it comes to hierarchies and the idea of having a leader. Like that's a that's people are you know starting to question those ideas a lot obviously with the the idea of the patriarchy and that whole thing however i wanted to bring it back to what you mentioned with ancestral lifestyles because oftentimes what what was so interesting about those groups in particular is that maybe you would have a leader a chieftain but they would only lead in certain in certain um, contexts, right? Yeah. So, for example, the chief isn't the leader necessarily if you're going on a hunt. What what happens is, and and there's no explicit leader. This is just everybody recognizes that guy is extremely skilled. Yeah. So we're just gonna listen to him. It's not this it's process entirely of like respect and merit based. There's exactly. No, like, there's no it's, election. Exactly. It's not like, hmm, who should we choose to be the leader and listen to? No, it's such a it's yeah. such an organic it's process of just the of and then obviously the people who are more inclined to lead and uh, and are very uh talented in those positions in in whatever the actual task at hand is naturally becomes the leader for that time. So it's really interesting because in a way you can have a lot more synergy when you allow, when there's a fluidity and dynamism between who is a leader at any given point. And I think that's something that we miss out on a little bit with our really rigid hierarchical structures that we have in society. Yeah. And like you said, there's different leaders for different things. You know, if you have a, uh, a lot of tribes had female, uh, you know, they were more matriarchal. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have, like you said, you wouldn't have the same leader for a hunt as you would for a religious ceremony. 
Exactly. And usually they'd have some kind of dedicated spiritual leader, you know, the medicine man, the shaman. And, uh, you know, they they lead in, in that sphere. So, you know, it's very, like you said, it's very organic and it's needs-based. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, you know, I don't need to go ask the chief if I can go take a shit in the woods or I can, you know, cook up this rabbit that I caught earlier. But I feel like, well, I, I, we'll get into it more. I don't want to jump ahead, but um, that that sort of concept, I think, is really important to think about whenever we're looking at leadership in the the modern context. Because, as with everything else, that's where we where that concept evolved, and and it had all this this natural merit based, respect based kind of thing, and it's it would work really really well. And the numbers are one of the biggest things. Like, you can have a couple of respect-based leaders if you've got 100 people or less. Yeah. Once you add a couple more zeros onto that, then it's like, like that one person can't possibly know all those people. So in a hunter-gatherer tribe, everybody knows the chieftain. Everybody's had a conversation with the chieftain. Yeah, and, and like we talked about, they have a shared set of beliefs, values, and expectations. Yeah. Everybody so, knows what's going to happen when you walk towards the trees over there. There's going to be a river yeah. flowing. That's pretty right. much the gist of their experience. You know? There's not a... Well... Everything's magical, but there's no there's no real, like, confusion. Maybe yeah, it's, they're maybe not, I should say there's mystery, but there's no confusion. Right. Yeah, it seems that we we're more and more getting lost in ab- abstractions. Yeah. Uh, but to to go to go back to really the introduction of this segment which we kind of just skipped over completely, but like leadership, right? <laughs> the word <laughs> leadership. So I think it is important to do a little bit of a of a dive into that because it's so misunderstood the way that leadership is understood i feel is just it's kind of off axis so there's there's elements of you know usually we're conflating leadership with almost like aggression which is really strange so what what ends up happening and when you look at what's happening at the highest levels uh when you look at a debate for example what is there is there any is there anything of substance that's going on or is it literally just two old dudes trying to dominate the other one verbally you know, this last one was was just a shit flinging exactly exactly so so that's obviously as we as we have seen firsthand Biden at one point was like will you shut up man like <laughs> Yeah, it's obviously as as we have seen that is not a that's not a good quality for for leadership. It's a very low almost like reptilian brain level of what what brings somebody towards the top of the hierarchy, but obviously we've evolved 
few stages beyond that point. And one thing that I just want to mention, I'm sure some of our listeners are aware of a man called Jocko Willink. And he has a really amazing philosophy on leadership. He, he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And I think what he lays what he lays out in that book, I think is so, so valuable because basically, he, of course, he goes very much into depth about this. He was a Navy SEAL commander. So he, he went deep in, into this stuff. And one of the things that he talks about is the role of the leader is actually to support the people that are quote unquote underneath them. And we have this so backwards because in it seems like people think that the leader is there to just tell everyone what to do. Yeah. And that's not at all the case. And to yell at them when they fuck up. But the, the thing uh, when he talks about extreme ownership, the leader takes responsibility if anything goes wrong. Yeah. It's on the leader if anything goes wrong. So let's say w- one of uh one of the employees or one of the lower level people makes a mistake in his philosophy it's like oh that's my fault because i didn't give him or her enough resources or enough information to be able to do their job correctly right wow that philosophy would really change politics seriously and and that's it's just completely not there when when i when i hear other conversations around around leadership and the way that that I was taught about it that concept and and not just taught about it but the way that it's it's actually manifested in in um in organizations it's just completely backwards it's like you have a bunch of people that are afraid to make a mistake because then they'll get yelled at by the person who's actually supposed to be there to support them Right, or in um, in the more extreme version, um, after the agricultural revolution, you might just get locked in a cage or just straight murdered if you piss yeah. off the king. Exactly. So, I think those ideas are really, really important to not only discuss but really internalize like if mm-hmm. if you want to be a good leader it's it's not about telling people what to do it's about unifying the group towards a certain goal and being the basically being the glue that holds everything together and supports each individual piece that's the that's the idea so I, I stopped using the glue metaphor, and I, I, ch- I changed it over. I changed yeah, I changed it over to the oil that makes everything run smoothly. Yeah, I, I guess I it like depends that. on what the what the system is, but well, yeah, like the glue is a little too static. Like, yeah, that's like oh yeah, bring everything together, and I gotta hold on to it, and you know I'm sticking things to me. The oil metaphor, when I think about that, that's, that's how I think about, like, my my role in my job is, you know, everybody else around me has jobs to do. They know how to do their work. And my main job is to, like, make sure everybody is able to do their job smoothly. 
not yeah. necessarily go around and tell everybody like you do this this way you do that that way sometimes i have to give like specific instruction but most of the time what i do is just facilitate other people's living and working yeah and i think that that's really what at its core like you're saying a leader should do yeah it's all about well and and even the even the oil metaphor is it's better, but there's still a missing piece because a big part of it is this idea of reducing friction, right? So just when you get rusty gears, you're losing a lot of energy in in the process yeah. through friction. So the oil is is introducing a fluid friction, which is very, very low friction, and it allows everything to roll more smoothly. But there's also the 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 leader is the is the foundation and the compass mm. at the as well so it's a hugely important role because at the same because there's also this thing where if everybody's not on the same page with wh- what why what they're doing is important then it then nobody does nobody does anything see i don't think that was an issue at the beginning because in the in the the first leadership roles and the chieftains and everything they like the the direction that everybody's going is like oh yeah we survive got to survive yeah, yeah it's much so more simple everybody's on the same page and you know it gets back to what you were saying like everything's natural there's no confusion there's no question the leader doesn't need to lay down like, all right, everybody, we got to survive. Like, yeah, exactly. They're just living their lives. It's just implicit. Yeah. So I think that it works a little bit better in that situation where, you know, without the chieftain, the tribe isn't suddenly going to be running around going, what the fuck do we do? <laughs> <laughs> you know? If the chieftain dies on a hunt or something, you know, somebody else will just take their place and, you know, there'll be a mourning period, but the tribe itself will be fine. Whereas if you've got you know, a, a company where you've got a leader, a real leader, and they die unexpectedly. Um, you know, it's not not like a big mega corporation with a fucking board and stuff. You know, a small business. Then that small business is probably going to fall apart unless somebody was already being prepared to fill that role. Because mm. without that that leader to, like you said, get people on the same page, set the direction, and kind of give more structure to what the people that he's supervising are doing, then everything falls apart. Mm. So, yeah, I, I I think what you're... So one thing that's interesting in what you're getting at is that now, especially now, um, but comparatively to our special orgi- or, origins, is special a word? Species origins. Um... <laughs> I like special. <laughs> Our leaders are asked to do a lot more than they used to. Mm. And if you are a leader, then, I mean, it's it's extremely stressful sometimes, you know, in some situations. Um, you know, if, if you're in a in a tribal situation, like I said, if the leader goes out on a hunt and dies and... Generally speaking, people are going to be all right. Um, if I 
really, really fuck up at my job, you know, I could potentially like ruin someone's livelihood or like Mm. really cause major issues with like small mistakes. And I'm not even in a big leadership position. Like freaking some people I know, you know, there's, there's been screw ups that I've heard about that have cost people like, you know, $150,000 or, you know, somebody did something bad to a house and then disappeared, dissolved the business. And now the homeowner is just like ruined. The house is just completely fucked and there's Mm. not even anybody around that can find a sue. So like, there's a lot of, there's, I feel like there's more consequences to failure of leadership now. Hmm. Well, I guess it, I guess it's in some sense, it, I guess it depends because on the small scale yes but on the large scale still yes but i'm thinking about in the tribal situation everything is life chieftain yeah if the (laughs) chieftain gets a little too uh big for for his britches and decides to go invade the 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 guys and gals in the other valley over and gets everyone killed that's pretty high stakes (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a pretty major fuck up yeah, that's. A, I don't know how many business leaders have it in their capability to uh, um, uh, declare war on their competition. Right, like, but all then, right, hey guys, we're Verizon here. That's you think we're gonna let that Sprint store just open up over there? No, I brought some guns. We're gonna go over there. We're gonna fuck shit up. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing that's interesting. Leadership is, failure. That's the thing that's interesting. Is a at once there is both larger consequences for smaller fuck ups but also less like extreme possible fuck ups well but then if if we if we bring it all the way up to the level level of governments now you have the thing where uh, a small fuck up kind of or could be thought of as a small oh i accidentally pressed this button the same time this guy was pressing the button or just, you know, uh, I made a, <laughs> I invaded a country thinking that there was WMDs in there when there actually wasn't, and it was bad yeah. intel. And then like, everybody nuked everybody, and we destroyed the fucking planet. Oh, that was the beginning of the Iraq War. That actually happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then you get stuck in uh, in a quagmire. Um, Indeed. And you know that I don't think that. You know, I wouldn't consider that a minor fuck up, but there's there's a lot of people who genuinely thought they were doing the right thing voting for the Iraq war. Yeah. And it you know, with in hindsight, it was obviously a catastrophically bad decision. And not only caused the deaths of countless innocents, but also siphoned away trillions upon trillions of dollars in resources so you know that's like you said you know that sort of level of fuck up has only recently been allowed really or enabled and you know recently is a relative term I mean oh man yeah (laughs) Recently is a very relative term, especially in this conversation. Yes. But this is actually a, a pretty pretty fine segue 
into the uh, into the next segment talking about governments because now we're getting into the concept of leadership starting to spread out out of the necessity that we were talking about that born is born from the numbers. You know, you can't have one person ruling so many people that they can't keep a handle on it. And, you know, there's still like kings and emperors and stuff like that in big places, but they still had a, a very like spread out system. So, you know, you look at like Rome that had an emperor, they still had a senate, they still had local governors, and they still had like a big widespread system of leadership and governance. And you have to go pretty far back to find like I actually don't even think it exists. I don't think there's an example of like a single ruler of like thousands and thousands of people cuz um if I remember right I don't know. I I know we have very little evidence of the first, like, earliest empires, the Sumerians and stuff. But, like, the the original, not original, but the earliest city we have evidence of is a is a Sumerian city, and they had a king, but I'm pretty sure they still had like advisors and like councilmen or you know I don't know what the fuck they called it but they had people to help with their leadership role because they couldn't take it all sure on they were once. they were called viziers <laughs> visos visox they were called poobas <laughs> ah that's um, a good one yeah i actually have i wrote down this particular date here let me check it so Uruk was the city like Urukai from Lord of the Rings and um, it it lasted for over a thousand years jeez I forgot about that um, but its peak was in like like 2900 2800 BC so that's like the first city that we have evidence of and uh, the the original settlers came in like a, maybe a thousand two thousand years before that so the concept of like centralized cities like large-scale cities has only been around for what does that make it about 5000 years which seems like a long time but relatively is really not you know that's less than half of the agricultural period right and like 1.4% of our species history so it's a pretty new concept to have, like, a large city. And because it it's kind of impossible for one person to govern that many people, we came up with a new idea. The government. The systematized rulership of people. Yeah, it's actually, 
just real real quick as a as a quick interjection here that's something that we really really take for granted is that we can live in a place surrounded by strangers completely and generally not have to worry about getting stabbed and getting our shit stolen and being accosted really for the most part of course it depends on where you live but generally in these big cities you can uh, like that's that is kind of a miracle when you really think about it it really is it really is it's something that it, and it's a it's a it's an it's an invention basically yeah yeah it is an invention and it's an invention of necessity and one thing that kind of bothers me is that so many people especially people who are you know kind of learned kind of curious like to read like to um delve into various things they often are kind of like generally critical of of governments and politicians and i'm guilty of this too but you know it it, it's born out of the 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 publicizing of politicians which is a good thing and you know it's it's easy to see oh yeah this you know nixon was a corrupt asshole but you know there's corrupt assholes in every industry and they're just not they're not um exposed as much because those people don't generally you know affect the laws that control your life but oftentimes i mean there's there's ceos of major food companies that have do all kinds of shady shit that um you know destroy people's health by the the millions um there's people in pharmaceutical companies. You know, there's obviously the whole opioid epidemic was predicted and almost kind of like like nudged along by the pharmaceutical companies that invented the, um, I think it was Oxycontin, the first one, first common one. Um, so like these, these, shitty people exist in all all these places of power but people are very quick to just be like oh yeah all politicians are fuckheads and they're all just a bunch of corrupt bastards we ought to just get rid of a lot of them and we don't need the government and it's like well if you're a smart self-sufficient young healthy person then yeah you probably don't but most people aren't that and Mm. there's there's a there's a lot more children, older people, people with some kind of disadvantage, people with some kind of health problem. Like, those are just as much, if not more, of the population than young, healthy, self-sufficient people. And are we actually... really self-sufficient? Is anybody really no. self-sufficient? <laughs> That's the no. thing. We're no. so entrenched in, in globalized society that there's... I maybe one in ten thousand, maybe one in a hundred thousand, maybe one in a million people that are actually self-sufficient. 
Yeah, and most of them are like out in the fucking Alaskan wilderness, exactly. Seals and stuff. Yeah, know, or they're or they're hunter gatherers. Yeah. Um. And you know, in, in this closet right now that I'm sitting in, there's probably fucking 150 countries worth of shit. You know. So yeah, nobody's really self-sufficient, and the people who just blanket shit on governments and politicians almost always have no fucking clue what they actually do. And, you know, it's definitely not true that all politicians are corrupt, or even most of them, Um, at least not in the U.S. You know, there's plenty of problems with political corruption, but it would be fucking stupid to just be like, oh, yeah, all politicians are corrupt. One of the biggest um, misconstruals there is that people have no idea who the actual governmental people are. They don't know who their county comptroller is. They don't know who their freaking treasurer of the city council or whatever the fuck it is. There's a there's so many smaller government positions that people have no idea about that do really important shit that keep your society running. But then they'll look on TV and be like, look at Lindsey Graham or Mitch McConnell and be like, see... They're all just bastards. They're, you know, let's just get rid of a lot of them. And meanwhile, your, you know, local clerk of courts is sitting there like, "Hey, I'm just, uh, I'm just over here trying to notarize documents <laughs> and uh, get permits done." You know? Yeah, it's it's true, and it kind of comes back to that idea: never attribute to malice what can be attributed to ignorance. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a few cases where it's like, yeah, Hand that's razor. That person is a piece of shit, most definitely. But most of the time, you realize that this is just this is just cultural conditioning. It's indoctrination into a specific ideology, and it's just complete and utter blindness to some of the information that is related to whatever they have their opinion about. Yeah. If you're super cynical and checked out of the democratic process, then you are super easy to control because you're not going to make any fuss. You're just going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, of course that's going to happen because all politicians are shitheads. Of course they're going to fuck me over. It's like, well, you can actually do something about that. No, man, it's all corrupt. Voting doesn't matter. Elections are rigged, bruh. I don't want to get out of my house and spend 15 minutes at the polling booth. Well, it's it's interesting because it's such a, you know, there is some truth to those statements. I mean, it's all corrupt is obviously not true, but there is corruption in politics. Yes. There is voter fraud and manipulation in... At a very small scale. Yeah, but it, it, it happens. So then when you see it, you go, see... It's all bullshit. It'd be like, it'd be like little... not driving your car because some people get in accidents and then pointing at an accident on the road. So you'd be like, see, everybody dies when they go out on the road. It's like, well, that's, that's actually a pretty small percentage of the uh, of the overall process. I'm not risking it. But, I mean, it's just, even when you get into the big stuff, whenever people are like, oh, well, gerrymandering and the Senate races, and obviously this is all U.S. politics people. I don't know how your polit- politics work there in Sweden, Hank, but um, even that's a bullshit argument because even if you were to, I always tell people like, okay, then don't vote for your fucking, don't vote for the president, but vote in all the down ballot stuff. 
Have you ever seen a ballot? There's like 30 things on there. The president, the representative, and the Senate are like three of your... Right. You know, they're, they're a tenth of what's going on. You elect your local judges. You elect sheriffs. You elect, um, you know, city council members. Um, most states have ballot measure processes. All of the legalizations across the country have been through ballot measures. Right. Uh, I, I guess there, there's one thing... I don't know if I said that. There, there's one thing that I would like to see because when, when I wanted to... When I was living in the States and I realized, like, oh, yeah, I guess I should probably do the only thing that I can do to have the potential to change how things are, which is vote. And I tried to look at the different people who are running and there was just no information anywhere online. So it's like, okay, how the fuck am I supposed to know who to vote for? If there's no information, it just says R or D next to the fucking person's name. Well, there's no fucking demand for that info. I mean, if somebody put that info online, there'd be like five people reading it. Because nobody, everybody's checked out. Everybody's so cynical about the process. And, you know, this is... Um, we're in kind of a unique situation here. Um, people like to call us, the, the you know, the, the, the original democracy or some fucking nonsense like that. But it's really not the case. Um democracy is literally a fucking latin word <laughs> the concept was made in ancient greece and one of the interesting things about democracy you know we've we've come to think of democracy as like a a moral thing it's like oh yes this is undemocratic means like immoral basically or or you know, manipulative or shady in some way. But the people who came up with democracy said it was a shitty system. And one of the big reasons why is because it's so easy to manipulate voters, like the average person who will vote. Yeah. It's a lot. It has a lot to do with how educated the populace is. Yeah. And since the vast majority of the populace is uneducated, Especially right now. It's actually really, really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you if you know Ray Dalio. Mm, but he, no. he did a article series about the fall of empires. And there's a very... Um, there, there, there's a cycle that's extremely obvious and it just happens over and over and over again through these same stages and it's really interesting because if we look at the u.s we are now experiencing the decline and like the one of the the characteristics of this stage is a huge overinflation of the military which is basically there to protect the trade routes and force yeah. people to tra- trade with you on good terms and the l- less and less mostly money what the u.s military does by the way people exactly uh and less and less money going into education and then you reach the point where you have a generation that is born that is 
super uneducated and just so used to living in luxury without having to have like earned or do anything for it which which over a few generations leads to the decl- leads to the fall of the empire and i just thought it was really funny because it was like wait a minute are you s- wait that's us <laughs> i was going to say that's the- probably the fucking baby boomers <laughs> Like the actually right. maybe not the baby boomers, but the people who grew up in the sixties and seventies, because mm. that was like the golden age of America, right? Like we were we were really on top of our game in the sixties and seventies, and I'm talking about like economically, you know, global positioning wise. I'm not talking about like culturally and socially. I know there was a shitload of issues going on right then. Um. But economic power-wise, that that was really when we were kicking ass. So, you know, that was that, that was whenever people were getting fucking pensions. You know, what the fuck is a pension? Wait, you guys, you guys just used to retire from your job and they'd just keep paying you? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that used to be the one of the negotiating factors in a job. Like, what's your uh, what's your pension plan? And people would work at a factory for 30 years and get a pension and retire on it and just be chilling. So I wouldn't say that we're the generation of like hyper luxury because we didn't really like like you and I are in the millennial generation and the millennial generation when they actually entered adulthood had a pretty shitty time of it. Our economy and you know one of the biggest things was in 2008. I mean I turned 16 in 2008, but the millennial generation is like 1984 to 1996 or something like that. Um, so, generally speaking, millennials were coming of age between, you know, 2000 and, or maybe 2002 and 2012. And... Um, that particular period was a really big downfall in American history. First, you had 9-11, which caused this, like, all this fucking security apparatus shit. And, you know, we entered the Iraq War after that. And uh, then in 2008, we had the Great Recession, biggest economic issue since the Great Depression. And so the, the millennials actually... You know, we we have a lot of um, commodities, but our needs are super fucking expensive. So I would say that our generation is actually in those later declining generations, mm. and I would say that the um, either the baby boomers or what is it, the Gen Xers, that that was the the generation that was like. Oh yeah, everything's gonna be good forever. And those are the people who fucking deny climate change, and you know, get all huffy and puffy about people wanting to provide free college and stuff like that. Like, mm. kind of the I got mine generation, right? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I guess um, there is, yeah. There is, 
it, it all kind of like blends together also too it because it's together. so close you know so it's well, like there, it there's used never to be like, there's a fucking thousand years in an empire we're only we're like 250 years in we're already fucking yeah, shit up that's what's so interesting is in in this age in the information age all of these processes are are exponentially they're they're getting faster and faster. It's like the whirlpool concept rate. that we talked about a while back. Where like as yeah. you get closer to the drain, you get faster and faster. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. It's and I and that's the and that's the idea, right? Like so, the drain is like the the center. That's the singularity, right? So like what? <laughs> what are so we we're getting closer to that? But what is it? And what's gonna happen when we go down the drain? <laughs> Oh boy, it's well, it's the same thing that's always happened when we go down the drain, which has never actually happened, but what we've always assumed will happen. There's one of two choices on the other side of that drain: utopia or death. Right. It's either oh, we it's destroy so ourselves or we make heaven on earth. It's also fascinating because if you think about a black hole, as you, as you become closer to the center the singularity of the black hole time slows down mm. and it nears zero as you near the center of the black hole so there's f- relative f- the outside observer you never you never reach the center yeah because light can't escape it but, so, um, but don't they think you kind of just get spaghettified? Like you just get well, kind of like yeah, sucked long, into the singularity? Long before that, you're yeah, you're just going to be completely ripped to shreds by the gravitational forces, like way far out. You're oh, gonna, yeah, no. But I was just saying like, be... like doesn't the star – we're going off on a lot of tangents, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, doesn't this like, – like if a star gets sucked into a black hole, doesn't that mass get added to the singularity? Well, it's it's a little confusing because I think that's the case, but the thing that's weird about it is, and I am not not an astrophysicist, but you're not a black hole expert. What the fuck as are you, you doing here? I know, I know you <laughs> thought I was a black hole expert, but I'm actually not. That's what this whole conversation <laughs> is supposed to be leading up to. Our third segment <laughs> is about black holes and how uh, they relate to empires, human empires. <laughs> We're we're getting there. We're getting there, uh, but but the idea is, the singularity. It's basically. It is. Infinite. Uh, density because you have. Mm-hmm. You have, basically, a insane amount of mass yeah. in no space. Yeah. So there's this weird like divide by zero shit that happens and then you're just like wait what the fuck that's yeah. why the, there's those memes that's like I don't know if you've seen any of those but it's just like don't ever divide by zero because it it's like a shitty math oh, meme yeah. but yeah it's as a, as an engineer the I universe. F- thought it was kind of funny yeah but that's the that's the idea is Basically, we have we don't fucking know shit, man. That's 
that's that's what I gather whenever I think about black holes. Mm. You know, and there's people who about, know a little bit that, more than I do, but it's still a little bit, just a little bit, grasping at straws. I, I, Relatively, I mean, the, it's actually it is a little bit. That's the funny thing. Yeah, we really don't know very <laughs> much about black holes. Um, but you know, think talking about that actually makes it seem kind of silly how uh, how important empires and governments take themselves. Right. Ever, is, is and ourselves. A, bust out that one quote again, the, uh, the astronaut. It's like, I just want to take all those politicians up here and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that, that's, that's one of my favorite quotes. It's Edgar Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who's like one of the one of the first five or six people to, or maybe, yeah, one of the first like five people to go on the moon. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that's one of his quotes. Cause he was, he was, I'm pretty sure he had that thought when he was standing on the moon, looking at the earth Yeah, and then realizing like, Oh my God, there's, there's, Oh, and you, you know what? It reminds me, there's a super funny sculpture. I think it's in Berlin. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's this really cool sculpture where it's, it's really low to the ground and it looks like there's, there's a puddle and there's, there's various people like standing around in suits that are almost like neck high. I mean, there are different heights, but some of them are like neck high in water. And then some of them are a little bit taller. And the, the name of the piece is politicians discussing climate change or, or something like that <laughs> they're all standing in water what's the economic impact that's really what exactly. I want to know <laughs> exactly <laughs> well you know this actually um, gets me into uh, some interesting stuff about empires that I've noticed over the course of reading it you know you talked about the cyclical thing um, I've noticed that there's almost always the same factors that lead to the collapse. And people always assume it's going to be like, oh, yeah, the corruption of the people who run it. You know, they just ran it shitty. And it's really not the case. Yeah, there's examples of that. And we always love to point to Rome because as soon as you say the word empire, the first thing that everybody thinks of is Rome. But there's been a lot of empires out there. And the majority of them that I've read about, at least, yeah, there's usually some shenanigans that go on in the government. But more often than not, from what I've seen, that's actually towards the end phases that things start to get really squirrely in the government. Usually there's some kind of ecological disaster, or there's a plague, or there's some kind of systemic issue where they get invaded by another culture or something like that. Like, there's usually a lot of factors. Um, I think that the the concept of, like, the leadership running empires into the ground is a classic example of, like, human arrogance just thinking that, like, oh, yeah, we did that thing. We must have undone that thing. And... 
I've I've read a lot of interesting stuff about how even in Rome, like there was a major major plague towards the end of Rome, and it was one of the big factors in its collapse. And you know the the ecological thing. There's been a lot of examples of that too, like people who farm their fucking forests or cut down their forests and farm the land so much that the land goes fallow and they don't they don't actually leave it in a fallow period and they you know they get a plague and then some you know they get a few years of drought and then all of a sudden you have some politician fucking shit up because he's taking advantage of a vulnerable situation Mm. but most of the time when you see like like peak empires their governments are actually pretty proficient and they actually do pretty well and it's kind of sometimes it just kind of seems so stupid to me that people just assume like corruption and misdoings when you have an extremely successful governmental system it's like do you realize that these people fucking 4,000 years ago had an extremely organized system of governance like no they weren't cavemen that were just trying to grift each other for money like these are really smart people smarter than you are most <laughs> most likely they didn't get you know we haven't gotten any any smarter like as far as like our, our raw intelligence goes we've just gotten more knowledgeable and more access to education and, and knowledge but the people who were living back then, they weren't stupid. There's plenty of times whenever you had some corrupt government, and it was actually a lot easier back then for the citizenry to just be like, no, we're just going to go burn your house down and kill you. <laughs> yeah, we found out you were taking our gold, you fuck. What are you talking about? We're going to crucify you in the public square. What do you What'd you think was going to happen? Yeah. And Or you get assassinated by a political rival. Good old Brutist. Um, but you know, it's, it's really fascinating to look at like the external things for me because the ecological disasters and the plagues were one of the most common factors that I have read about in the, the sort of collapsing of empires. And it really makes me think about America right now. Yeah. Once again, like well, we're running into an uh, uh, an environmental crisis and we just had a major plague that we dealt with really poorly. And there was that whole war thing, unnecessary war thing, military ramping up, demagogues getting into power. This is really, really starting to sound familiar. Yeah. Yes... Yes, yes, so, yes. So let's quit beating around the bush. Give me your prediction. How much? How long? How long we got? How long Before... till the official? How long until the history books in the year three thousand say this was the um, the period of the collapse of the American Empire? Well, I, I think we're already we're already in in that period. Oh yeah. It's the it's the final stage. We're we're entering the collapse. It's it's kind of it seems inevitable at this point, mm-hmm. especially with what's happened with the coronavirus. I mean, 
it's it's because man china they were just so poised to take advantage of what happened yeah. and they're they're certainly going to be the next global superpower that's yeah it's just it's just really a matter of time i'm interested in i think where where it will be like official is when the global currency changes to yuan from from, <laughs> from the, the dollar, dollar. Uh, and i give it <laughs> let's see uh, i don't know maybe like 50 years 50 years i think 50 that's a to 100 safe years <laughs> i don't think I, let's just say I, I don't think we'll last the century no, I think I think, I think so. the I think the 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 2000s, the first century of the 2000s will be the period of uh, of American collapse. They're just like, yeah, you know, they um this was a right around 2000, they really started fucking up. <laughs> yeah. They flew a little close to the sun. Icarus style. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot. Here's another Roman analog. You've got like the the barbarian nations coming in and and raiding and causing all kinds of problems and Rome overreacting to it and and overextending themselves. Mm. It's fucking 9/11, dude. Yeah. I mean, there's so many parallels. And people have talked about this ad nauseum, but it's still fun to fun to look at. Yeah. How many parallels there are and you know, as a as a citizen who's living in the United States, it makes me think about what a Roman citizen was thinking, like when I forget what which emperor it was, but the emperor that um, divided Rome into two, and one was Rome, one was uh, Byzantium. Mm. Like what? What was a Roman thinking, Roman citizen thinking when that declaration was made, and you were like, dude, we're fucked. <laughs> Like we're not doing good right now. This country is, or this empire is starting to fall apart at the seams. Literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> I'm imagining some seamstress out in the countryside in the border between Rome and Byzantium. Um, well, that's the thing is that's probably what they were thinking is like. Man, we should probably just move out to the country and start start a farm or something because this shit is fucked. And that's we it's probably get out of the city. That's, it's funny because that's what I that's what what I want to do. Feel. Also, that's what I want to do. <laughs> She's like, well, well, you're in Sweden. I feel like you're in better shape. I think slightly, but there's it's so connected all all in the yeah, west. You know, true. it's like it's like it's literally the fall of the west. Yeah, because if America falls, then then we're kind of the the keystone. And if we if you take us out, a lot of fucking a lot of places are going to crumble. Yeah, I mean, and I think you know the EU they they are, have kind of they're obviously trying, trying to, to step it up, step it up, and and reduce their reliance on on the U.S. But it does feel like. Like the West is very connected in a lot of ways, so yeah. So it's going to negatively affect pretty much 
all i would say most of the countries in the west so and i and yeah it's it'll be interesting to see though the extent because at the same time quality of life well i don't even know about this you know you hear about the, these guys you know steven pinker for example he and there's a lot of merit to what he's saying about yeah violence is going down quality of life is going up child mortality is going down that's all true and it's yeah that's that's true but however like is it really quality of life if more people than ever are killing themselves and we have more mentally ill people than have ever existed by a huge margin is that really yeah. quality of life i don't I, think I, so I, I do not understand how steven pinker thinks that quality of life is going up the only thing i can think of is it's just a fucking man in the high castle kind of shit it's just like looking down like this beautiful countryside. I have this wonderful manse. Everybody must be doing great. How could, how could anybody not enjoy the modern era? I've got my TV, my house cleaner. My I think guard. that's mostly it. It's like it's like a, it's a technological argument, right? It's like everyone has refrigerators now, and everyone has <laughs> yeah. air conditioning and TVs, and it's like, yeah. I mean, that's there. There are that does improve quality of life on one axis but there's it's so much more complicated than that and you know as we've as we've talked about before you know you you have cultures that are literally on in a survival situation where the the general populace is way more at ease way more fulfilled way yeah. more connected than than we are here with our fucking all isolated in our in our homes staring at fucking screens all day yeah which is kind of i mean i'm sitting in my closet alone staring at a screen so <laughs> i guess i shouldn't those who live in glass houses those who live in glass closets but this is also a little bit different too because you know our this empire was built in some sense on consumption yeah and yeah so, so and that's a big that's a huge part of the problem like that's we, we're not human beings are not only creatures of consumption of course we have to consume to survive we have to eat we have to drink we have to intake information but we're also creative beings so we're this also designed to derive pleasure from the work that goes into the consumption naturally which normally would be you know chasing a deer yes or finding mushrooms out in the forest yes and now that's gone to gain pleasure from data entry exactly that we get paid for and here's a little thought experiment for you ooh i got to thinking about this um just popped up in my brain it's to me, some of this technological progress, um, th think about if this happened. And this is actually something that, you know, I know nothing about if there's any research or anything in this particular vein, but it, does, it doesn't seem like too far outside the realm of possibility for the next, like, 50 to 100 years if we continue technological advancement. Imagine, imagine if they came up with some kind of treatment 
some kind of machine something or other, some kind of technology that allowed you to be totally sedentary but never get fat and not lose all your muscle mass and not, you know, get a bunch of chronic pain. Basically, it got rid of the physical health ramifications of being sedentary. Yeah. Kind of like a matrix situation, potentially, where your neurology is actually plugged in. So if you're moving in the matrix, then your body is... Is still. Yeah, but it's also... You're not going to atrophy because it's you're keeping the those the wires the neurology the muscle memory going so it's not gonna you're not gonna totally atrophy so that doesn't work in mine because the point of my exper- my thought experiment is to say that what we've done with technologies like that but like imagine if that were the case where you the physical ramifications were taken away but they didn't take into account like the the sort of mental need for humans to move. Right. So there's a time oh, that goes you into like living a fulfilling life by being non-sedentary. If you're completely sedentary, right. it's going to contribute to you. You're just like overall less well-being, lower right. well-being. So the thought is, is that like what we've done with a lot of, a lot of these modern technologies is we've, created comfort and convenience at the sacrifice of our happiness. So whenever Steven Pinker talks about quality of life, he's actually talking about comfort of life. Right. Or lack of discomfort more more than that. Mm. And just because you you have an extreme lack of discomfort doesn't mean that you have a good quality of life. And there's a lot of miserable people out there that live extremely comfortable lives. Go and look at fucking, you know, those those shows about, you know, like, what is it, like, My 600-Pound Life or something like that. You know, there's <laughs> people, people who, who just are incredibly obese, and obviously there's discomfort involved with being obese, but the, the their lack of discomfort led them to that place, you know. So I think that what we've done is just kind of sedate ourselves and it's it's like um you ever hear the the old saying religion is the opiate for the masses yes i i i've been thinking lately that we ought to change it to technology is the opiate of the masses Mm. yeah well tech technology it almost is the new religion dude yeah kind of is what's so creepy about it like you have these you literally have ideological groups that are like dude you have a fucking android man i'm (laughs) (laughs) well people who have androids are definitely heathens just kidding i would honestly rather have an android than my iphone i fucking it's just so I've, i've had it for for so long i don't feel like taking the effort to switch over at this point like it's quality phone but goddamn so many little fucking handrails on it but I won't get into that that's for another podcast but yeah there's like I mean you've even got like the churches man you've got the the snapchat instagram like the place people go to to worship their feed 
Yeah, dude. I love that they call it the feed, too. You're feeding feed. on it. <laughs> feed me. <laughs> the news feed. <laughs> Here's your feedback. <laughs> Let me just engorge myself on dopamine. Yeah, it's it's kind of creepy. Yeah. But you know what would really help to prevent all this all this hor- all these horrible things from happening? What's that, Nate? <laughs> if people just knew more about history. Wow. What a wholesome idea. <laughs> <laughs> You mean but, that we can learn from the mistakes of our ancestors? It's one of the most cliche sayings out there. Like, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. But it is fucking true, dude. It's true, man. Totally and true. As we've been talking about with the comparisons between the American and Roman empires, like, like the lessons are all there. Oh yeah, the issues are all there. Like it's, it's it's novel circumstances, but it's the same patterns. Yeah, you know, Donald Trump is a is a textbook demagogue. Yeah, and that was one of the that, that was a big problem in uh, Greece and Rome, and they there's a shitload of writing on demagogues, how to prevent them, what to do what to do with them, why they happen, and you know. People just don't give a shit. It's not, it doesn't seem relevant enough for people to look at, you know, the Roman Senate, even though we literally named our Senate after them. Like, that's where the concept came from. All this shit came from Greek and Rome. Yeah. I I just want to. Greece and Rome. I just want to give a quick, I I just want to address some of our listeners who, because you already know this, Nate, about me, which is that, and I kind of alluded to this in the beginning of the show, which is that I, for the longest time, I did not give a shit about history. I thought it was the most boring subject ever. And partially, I guess it had to do with the different teachers that I had in history. But I also think it's the way that it's taught. So the thing is, is history is not... Like the way that it's taught is like, okay, here's a bunch of dates and people, and then tell me, just memorize the dates and then memorize the things that the people did. And that to me is just such the wrong approach. Like, terrible approach. If you want to have a great example of how history should be taught, I got to give a shout out to my man, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, one of the best productions history audio productions i have ever heard he's fucking amazing first of all and and the thing is is because what he does is he brings you into the world he he brings you and he creates it's a it's It's like story story exactly it's storytelling and that's to me that's the most important part of teaching history is is storytelling because yeah. it allows us to see the archetypes, it allows us to see the patterns, and it allows us to see how those things apply to where we're at today and what we yeah. can learn from that, rather than just I'm 
I'm in like just being a fucking robot that's just trying to memorize as many dates as possible. Like, what does that do? That doesn't. It doesn't yeah. give you anything. It's not valu. It's not valuable to me at all. Yeah. So, quick rant about that. No, that's but that's so gonna... important. The storytelling aspect is really important. And the the one thing that I would say that gets a little squirrely in there, but this isn't so much like the teaching of history. This is more about the writing and inception of history. Um, the funny thing that happens is that <laughs> it tends to be the historians that do the, the storytelling, not the history teachers. Right. What I mean by that is Thanksgiving. You know, the pilgrims and the Indians came together, and the Indians <laughs> taught them how to grow corn, and the pilgrims <laughs> brought them a nice fried turkey. It's like, no, no. Unfortunately, that's not how <laughs> it went down. Yeah, that classic, like, picture of the pilgrim bringing the turkey plate over, and the Indians yeah. are sitting on one side, the pilgrims are sitting on the other. If it was historically accurate, those Indians would be fucking slaughtered on the ground with their heads on pikes. Unfortunately. Like, yeah, like, there's... The, history is written by the victors is another cliche thing, and people love to use it as a blanket statement of, like, I don't like this particular group of people or concept or ideology, so I'm going to say the history is fake because they won that particular conflict. Right. So, you know, there's plenty of examples, but it it is it turns into kind of a gross generaliza- generalization. But there's one example of it that I really love that I mentioned to you when we were talking about this episode. Um, Easter Island. And this is a this is a fun one to me because Easter Island is used nowadays as an example of how a a culture can fuck itself over by destroying its environment, its natural environment. And the reason why people point to this is because you go to Easter Island and it's mostly like grasslands, but there, it used to be completely forested. And they've got all these fucking stone heads, which is what it's famous for and they're huge and they're uh, actually not just heads they're full bodied things too <clears throat> and they carve these huge statues and interestingly enough the narrative has been for a long time that well we weren't, we're not sure how they moved these statues into place so we're, they just assumed that they cut down the trees, turned them into rollers, and then like rolled the the statue along the ground with with tree trunks as rollers. Yeah, just it's basically just like assuming like okay, well this is the only way we could think of doing it. And so their their assumption from that was, well, they got so obsessed with statue building that they cut down all their trees to make scaffolding and rollers for their statues. But when you went and asked the natives of the island how they got the statues into place, they'd say they walked them. 
Well, what do you mean? Well, the statues, they walked. They walked into place. And they, they'd say, no, they didn't use trees to roll them. And, but, you know, people were just like, oh, that's just superstitious mumbo-jumbo. I obviously used trees, and they cut down all their forests, and they fucked up their environment because they were stupid tribal people. Dude, just real quick, I just have to point out the irony of the, like, cultural projection that's going on in this in this story (laughs) you know it's just so so obvious projection that's going on here we fucked up our land so these people obviously did too yeah (laughs) so anyways the interesting thing that's come out in recent years is first of all the one of the big things that came out is some archaeologists, anthropologists, I don't know exactly what they were, but some people who were curious about this decided to come up with a new theory of this. And their theory of it was basically that when they, there's this like big volcano on Easter Island, and that's where they're carving this stone out of. And they... Um, as a quick aside, by the way, these people had incredibly advanced farming techniques that used all these cool structures. They used ca- the lava caves on the island. They're very, very innovative. So what they did is they ma- basically made a replica Easter Island head, but they made it in this way that they're thinking that this is how they did it. And think about it this way. So the, the the original thought was that they carved the whole statue, the body and the head, and then they took it out of the volcano and kind of like slid it down the hill because there's one side that's kind of like open. You don't have, There's not like a, a big crater, like a fully formed crater that you go down into. Mm-hmm. And then they slid it down the hill of the volcano, and at the bottom they used the trees as rollers to get it to the spot. And then like, I don't know, fucking use ropes or something to stand it up. But these guys, what they did is their idea was they carved out the head and then they made the body in the shape of basically a bowling pin or a weeble. And they slid it down the hill. They do know they did that because there's a bunch of broken statues at the bottom of the hill, which... (laughs) As another aside, like, there was oh, who's fuck. talking about like, like, can you imagine being one of these stone crafters and working for like a year or two on one of these statues and slide it down the hill only for it to fucking break on the way down? Yeah, that sucks. And there's a shitload of them too. There's like a hundred of them broken down at the bottom of the hill. Oh, brutal. Um, or along the path that they were marching them to. But so basically, what they did. And, and like I said, they built one of these things. They built an Easter Island head on top of a sort of bowling ball body. And they sort of like tipped it to one side and it rolled forward a little bit and then tipped it to the other side yeah. and it rolled forward a little bit. So they basically just weeble wobbled it into place. Right. And then once it got there, then they finished the body. Mm-hmm. So they think that that's actually how they did it. Because it would look like the thing was walking. Mm. And... So that it wouldn't require any trees. So yeah, there was you know wood required for the scaffolding, but 
that could be easily reused. If you've got a big giant fucking stone statue rolling it across these trees, they're they're going to wear out. Hmm. So that was the thought that they used them for that purpose, and they just used them all up. But um, now they're starting to think that what actually happened was that, like, basically, I mean, you could probably guess it. You could probably take one guess as to who the real culprit of the Easter Island collapse was. I already know, so I, I can't I can't guess. I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna give the listeners another couple seconds to make a guess. <laughs> White people. <laughs> uh European settlers. Yeah. So once Easter Island what a had surprise. been discovered. What a surprise. An indigenous culture wiped out by Europeans? That didn't that never happens. Strange occurrence. Um but basically what happened was and I won't get into the whole details. If you if you guys want to check out this whole story, I got this from um the Fall of Civilizations podcast, their episode on Easter Island. Uh, but basically the the freaking European settlers used it as like a way station and they ended up bringing some diseases and, you know, really decimating the population. And one really fucked up thing that they think happened now is there was this particular incident where these, it was like the first settlers that came there. And there was a little scuffle, you know, miscommunication. Somebody didn't quite know. Somebody tried to take something they shouldn't have took. They don't really know how the fight broke out, but there was a an altercation. And the sailors, I think they were Dutch, um, opened fire, opened fire on the, um, on the natives and they, they killed a bunch of them. And then they, you know, they, they kind of took some of their stuff and then left. And so the, the narrator kind of painted it as like, imagine being a fucking indigenous Easter Islander you worship these these statues as your your like ancestral guardians and your protectors and suddenly this boat shows up full of white people and they blast you with these thunder sticks that just kill you mm. and then your whole populace gets struck by a plague because those Brutal. sailors hit them with smallpox and so the Easter Islanders ended up, like, destroying most of their statues. They had a kind of, like, religious um, iconoclast where they no longer trusted their guardians. So they ended up smashing a bunch of their statues. Mm. And, um, you know, yada, 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 cultural decline, slash and burn farming. So, you know, the... the And, oh, oh yeah, by the way most of the trees were cut down by fucking Europeans too. <laughs> They'd go there after those, those Dutchmen uh, left and, and, you know, it was kind of like officially marked on the map. Then they just go there whenever they needed some slaves or they needed some extra wood for the trip or, you know, wanted to steal some fruits or something. So they were just regularly raided by Europeans and, you know, had their shit taken, their trees cut down for the ships and things. And, um, you know, my, my point in saying all that is that the Easter Island story is used or has been used for a while as a, um, 
a sort of teaching story about what happens when a culture ruins its environment for, um, like, sort of arrogance reasons. You know, the thought is like, oh, those statues. It was just the hubris of the island islanders. But I actually think that given all that new info that they've come up with, it's actually the perfect example of how we can misconstrue the past and how the history is written by the victors. Yeah, and project how our own demise is occurring onto the demise of a previous civilization. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we looked at these people like, oh, they were just so stupid they ruined their environment. No, the, in actuality, they were great stewards of their environment. And not only do they not cut down all their trees, there's actually evidence of them having tree farms that they used. Mm. So they found the the palm trees that grew really quickly, and then they grew those in, like, plantations, basically. And there's also evidence of them specifically not cutting down slow-growing palms and, and palm trees that were endangered at, their t- at that time. Wow. They were, like, rare. So they were actually really good stewards of their environment and very intelligent and very innovative. And they were just basically just slaughtered by... Um, opportunistic foreigners and you know it's it's really important to look at that um you know obviously the 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 whole environment don't destroy your environment thing yeah yeah that's our lesson it wasn't their lesson the lesson for that particular story i think is really like you need to look at history objectively and you need to not pretend that your people are the good guys. Because they're usually, depending on, you can find some period where your people have been the bad guys in, in the past. No matter where you're from, who oh, you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I... There's going to be some some point in time when they were shitty. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, I agree that it's a very important point that the idea of history is written by the victors because well and that's also another thing that dan carlin does brilliantly is he always of course you can't do this all the time but he does a really good job of bringing up the times when there's disagreements about what happened Mm. because that's always the case too you know it's not just like even among the victors, there's people who disagree about what happened yeah. and we don't have perfect information. And also, one more thing related to that idea, which was so interesting, because here in the West, we when we learn about the fall of Rome, we learn about like, oh, and that was the decline and then we went into a period of darkness. The for- Dark Ages. Yeah, and like this, this was the worst thing that ever happened, <laughs> and it was so funny because I was talking, I was talking with my girlfriend who's Turkish, and when they learn about it, it was like hooray, and then the Ottomans <laughs> fucking won, and it was a, and it was this amazing thing that happened, and then and then finally like the culture could you know and i was just like Whoa. the great enlightenment happened <laughs> yeah the fall of Rome. yeah it wasn't and, their dark ages 
Exactly. And so, and it's really important to, to, to recognize <laughs> that. Yeah, that was a mind blowing moment for me. Well, I just got to thinking, we didn't realize, we didn't quite realize that the dark ages was just referring to the skin color of the people in power. Oh, yikes. <laughs> oh, yes, the Dark Ages, when those people from down south in the desert started learning things, and we uh, we kind of got fucked. Yeah, super, yeah. super interesting, though, j- just to always remember both sides of the coin, both sides of the story, and yeah. just to know that we, we, we don't really know a lot of what happened. I mean... <laughs> Before literacy, before we wrote, started writing things down, we basically have no idea what was going on. And even yeah. even then, when people started writing things down, we know it's heavily biased, uh, rife. And then you have all of these things with translation errors and people who are literally changing what happened to fit the the story of yeah how of how things are supposed to be based on whoever the monarch is or the person in power all kinds of shit like that uh, so it's always important to take these things with a grain of salt but there's always so much that we can learn from them regardless yeah i mean history used to almost exclusively be archetypical mm. where it was like you know Many years ago, the great king of the land said and did this thing. It's like, well, that's kind of what the king now does. It's like, yeah, it's a, he's the king. That's what kings do. Yeah. And um, one, of the, one of the funny things that I learned from, um, I think it was Eknath Ishwaran, it was like when, when the Indians told stories, they just, uh, they just, take the the current king and they'd change the name in the story so whatever the king was he was the king in the story Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so like for a long time history was just like word of mouth storytelling oral tradition stuff yeah you know i don't know when exactly writing was invented but dated history hasn't been around for that long no yeah it's interesting how Myth and history were basically synonymous. Yeah. During those times. You had to have some way to remember it. People weren't going to remember all those. (laughs) History got so boring for us, we couldn't even keep it in our brains. We had to put it in a textbook. We had to make a a tree our slave in order to print all of our boring-ass history onto it. <laughs> so hopefully this has been a more fun chat about history. I certainly I certainly had a lot more fun with it than I did when I was forced to learn about history. I'm sure we'll we'll come back and explore more some of the great leaders and empires of our past. Yeah. I mean, if my history teacher was telling me that story about Easter Island and he said something like, and can you guess it, class? It's white people again. (laughs) (laughs) He was actually funny. But, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's so important 
to like make this stuff entertaining and it mm. seems really weird and vapid vapid um for somebody to say that but we're not designed to be information sponges no not in, not like and that it it has to have there has to be meaning behind it there has to be a cohesive story to to keep it together to make to have yeah. to make it make sense so you'll see some clown on the internet being like, well, maybe you should just learn it to be a better person. It's like, well, yeah, maybe you should. Good luck getting the other 7 billion people to do that. To be a you better know? person? What? I, I don't know. You know, It's just like, <laughs> How do... <laughs> I see I see that sort of sentiment a lot. Like, well, maybe you should just do this difficult thing that takes a lot of discipline because it's it will improve you or, or, or be the right thing to do. It's like that doesn't fucking work. It never has. It never will. There's just such a utopian idea of what human beings are supposed to be. So yes, we need to make history entertainment. And I I really wish that we'd have more, um, more historical fiction shows. Mm. I feel like that's a an uh, I've I've seen some of them, but you know they don't quite. They don't quite take off as much, but I mean, I I just see so much potential for education these days in just putting some like production value into teaching history. Definitely, and that's it. Actually, relates to conversation that I just had. I don't I don't know if it'll be released by the time this comes out, but. I had a conversation with Timmy about VR, virtual reality. Mm. And that is a a really interesting application because if you can take people back to like a day in the life or, you know, you could actually watch Ah, how these battles happened and the strategies and what was happening in the courts and you could have scenes, it would completely change. That would be so cool. Yeah, it would be... You can, like, play a game where you like build a little, <laughs> a little brick house with the methods from back then or something. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, you could. It, the applications are, are uh, vast. I would say. Yeah, yeah, and imagine taking that to a history class. All right, kids, we're gonna learn about the Roman Senate today by watching it on VR. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I mean, imagine cool. learning about learning about Socratic dialogue and learning about these different emperors and these different time periods by going there. Of course, it's not going to yeah, be... You could go up and honk Socrates' nose. Yeah, of course, of course it's not going to be his, totally historically accurate, but uh, That's not the neither point. is the textbook. <laughs> yeah, neither and is the textbook. The textbook's textbook. fucking boring, so you might as well... Yeah. Uh, make it make it enjoyable and interesting and make it make it an experience that has a lasting effect on on the people who are learning about it yeah that's that's my view on it of course we're we're on the way there i think it's it's pretty much inevitable that it's going to happen it's not quite the technology isn't quite there yet but we're um we're making progress we're making progress buddy we're gonna get there Hopefully, unless unless you and I um, are wrong on our predictions, and uh, it's going to happen a little bit quicker than we thought. The the next great downfall of the super empire of the time. 
But I have got to get off here, bro. I got to get to work. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week. Later. There you have it, folks. Another fine episode of Casual Cognition. Hope you enjoyed our little history chat today. I know Hank uh, isn't the biggest fan of history, as he said, but I'm definitely going to try and get him to have some more chats, and I think I've convinced him to come around to it just a tad. So, we hope you're doing well out there, and we will see you in a week.